0: Heavenly Father, I just thank you again. I thank you for this privilege of just coming here today, Lord, to worship you, to lift up our prayers, to lift up our praises. Lord, just together, gather together as a group of your children. What a privilege, Lord. Lord, as we get into your word today, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that this would be your word. Lord, your Holy Spirit would just fill this place, Lord, that as we study this and hear this, Lord, and as we hear your words, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord. They would not hear from me, but there would be something that would speak to their hearts, Lord. If it's a word of encouragement, if it's a word of rebuke, if it's just knowing who you are a little more, understanding a little bit of your mercy or your grace, or maybe, Lord, they would just come to a deeper faith, Lord. Whatever that would be, Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would move through this place and just speak to us, Lord we praise you and thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word and your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now this week's message, self-examination. Sounds like a fun message, huh? This is not a message I would have chose to preach. But I stick true to going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, chronologically through the Bible. So as we get into this, when I first read this passage earlier in the week, I'm like, what am I going to preach on this? How am I st-? I'm not a big... I like wonderful, encouraging messages. But you know what? Sometimes in the Bible, you just got to preach what it says. And that's why I love teaching this way. Because it forces me and us to examine all of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. And so sometimes the messages are not always warm and pleasant. Sometimes there's lots of different messages in God's Word. So we will be in Luke chapter 13, 22 through 35 today. Self-examination is what I've titled this. But I just, as always, I want to go back just a minute to remember last time I taught. Remember that as we were going through this, we saw how Jesus was speaking to the people. Last time I taught, he said, look at me. Look at my words. Look at my actions. The proof that you are seeking is in the work I do. You guys remember that message two weeks ago? We can see Jesus and who he is, that he was a Messiah through his works and his words. It proved who Jesus was. Remember, we talked about that. We saw how his life led people to believe that he was the Savior, he was the Messiah. But then you remember, we had to apply that to our lives after that. So I close that sermon with five main points. I don't expect anyone to remember them, but I do want you to look back on the last two weeks and ask yourself this question as I look at these five points. Do our words and our works lead people to Jesus or away from Jesus? How was your last two weeks? Depends on the moment for me sometimes, I think. Do our lives testify of Jesus Christ's mercy and grace? We are a living testimony. What did we testify of the last few weeks? Did our lives bear witness to the power of Jesus this last few weeks? Maybe some of us, unfortunately, one of the points was, does our lives, unfortunately, sometimes tell a different story than that? So maybe we need to examine that, and there needs to be some minor changes there. What does the world see when they look at your life? What does your life lead them to? That was the five points two weeks ago. We can look at that and ask ourselves these questions, even this week. Because Jesus said, The proof is in what I do. Believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I've done. Imagine that we can have that same testimony. So that that was last week's message. But this is a goal for us, right? It's a goal for our lives. To be that example, our works and our words to lead others to Christ, not away from Christ. Very important. So I want to review that a bit. I, uh, I tell you, I've had a rough few weeks. I've met a lot of people. I, I, I'm always talking to people. If you hang out with me, you'll see. I'm always out there talking to people. Now I've met a lot of people. Lately, I've unfortunately met a lot of people that would have led people the other way. And I was like, wow. It grieves me. It does when I meet people like that. Because they, they're Christians. But they're just... They're not pleasant people. And so I just want to reiterate this. We want to be like this Christ-like example, that our lives and our actions and our words and our demeanors and our act, every part of us would lead, lead people to know Christ. Easily said, especially when I'm driving in and gone. But it's a goal, right? We've got to have goals. So this week, someone's going to have it. This man is going to ask Jesus a question. This question is going to be asked. It's a question that we should all be willing to ask. The question was, Lord, will only a few be saved? Interesting question. Now, when we ask this question, what was your first thoughts? Were you thinking of yourself? Or were you thinking of others? Think about that. Now... Hopefully, as we just went over and reviewed, hopefully our words and our works would lead someone that you would know to ask a question like this. I mean, what would you tell them if they asked this question? Who will be saved? How will they be saved? Is it only a few that will be saved? How would you answer that? What about yourself? How would you answer that personally? What do we truly know about entering the kingdom of heaven? Let's learn about this, this week. As we uh, get into this, we will study through Luke here. oh someone's unhappy. So Luke chapter 22, verses through 35, we're going to look at this 13, self-examination. So grab your Bibles. Luke 13, 22. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? Now realize, give a little context here. As we start this here, realize Jesus is running a race. Right? And he's nearing his finish line in life. We talked about it last time. He's three months away from the crucifixion. His time is nearing. Okay? Went over that. Now I think about that as is he's running a race, a race for God. Now, I, personally, I run a lot of races of my own setting. I I, I ride a bike a lot. I'll go out and go try to ride 20 miles. I I run a lot. I'll go try to run like six, seven miles. Um, So whenever I go out, I always have a goal. I always have a finish line. I don't just start running and not know where I'm going to turn around at. I usually always have a definite goal. That way I know when I'm done that I can accomplish what I set out to do. And I, I want to go strong that whole time. When I run, if like in ink gun, when I run and I go and there's a light that turns red, I'm really disappointed. Because I have to stand there and wait for the light. And it kind of messes up my workout. And I'm like, I want to just stay strong that whole time. I don't want to stop. Or maybe if I get really tired... And if I stop running, I'm really disappointed in myself. Because I want to stay, whatever goal I set out if it's to run five or six miles, I don't want to run that entire time. I don't want to stop. Sometimes I get stuck by lights. Sometimes I just get too tired. Um, lots of reasons. But my goal is always to stay strong in that race that I've set. To finish, when I run across and I arrive, at, I, my goal is always when I come back to right touch that onyx sign on P road. When I touch that sign, then I know I accomplished my goal coming back. So I don't want to stop before him. Now Jesus' finish line in life here is coming up soon, isn't it? He's ready to cross that finish line. What he set out to do. Why he was there. And this finish line is something we can't even imagine. Imagine that looking forward. That was your finish line. That was your end goal. That's what you're racing towards. That's what you're trying to do in life. I couldn't imagine that being a goal in life. Um, it'd be... just Imagine you're running that race in life and your goal is to be placed on the cross. To be placed on that cross bearing everyone's sins, past, present, and future. And that's what Jesus is facing as he's running this race here on earth. And I think about that, and I think as we get into this scripture today, we really see Jesus as heart here. Because he's facing that. And as he's facing that, he still continues to teach, to preach, to pour out to people he doesn't stop. He doesn't take a break and go. He sees the urgency to teach and to preach. And I, just, I think it's amazing. I think we need to have that same heart. We see that he ran his race and he never gives up. He just continues as he faced his own death at that cross. He presses towards the very place here. You can see he's pressing towards Jerusalem, the very city where this will take place. Imagine being in that finish line, running towards that very city, where you would be persecuted Look back at verses 22 You see here Lord Will only have you to be saved Now maybe there's someone here today That's asked that question Maybe there's someone that Is not confident in their salvation Wondering if they're One of the people that are or are not saved. If there's someone here like that, please come up afterwards and talk to someone. There's lots of people here that would love to pray with you and talk to you and get exactly what that means to be saved. Because we're going to talk about that a little bit today, but I really, really want to know if you have any doubts there on your own salvation. If you think, maybe I'm not saved, or maybe I've truly never accepted Christ or came to that faith. Please come talk to me afterwards. There's lots of other people you can talk to Pastor Gardner, Pastor Dan, we talked to uh, There's so many of us here you can talk to. Please come talk to someone if you have any doubts of your salvation, because you should have zero doubt. It's, it's, you are saved, that's it. There's no works, there's no nothing. You should be able to just absolutely say you're saved and go into heaven. If you have any hang up in there at all, please talk to us. Let's get back here. We just uh So we're going to see Jesus' response to this question. His response to the question. But before we get that, I just want a little context. Because this man, when he asked this question, only a few will be saved. You know, he wasn't really responding to everyone. This was a Jewish person asking this question. So when he said this, he wasn't even thinking about the Gentiles. He already believed that none of the Gentiles could be saved. So when he's asking this question, he's really only talking about the Jewish people. So he's saying, will only certain Jewish people be saved? Or will all of us? Because many of the Jewish people believed, because of their heritage and being Jewish, that they automatically would be saved. So he's asking Jesus, well, will some of them really not be saved? So you got to understand that context of that question. He's challenging the Jewish religious beliefs and asking Jesus to debate it with him. This isn't a nice question. He's trying to set Jesus up a little bit. I don't know that... I don't know. So you've got to realize the context of the question. It is truly this guy trying to challenge Jesus in the Jewish thinking, saying they all would go to heaven. Maybe this happens today. Maybe... I know for me, I preach at a lot of different places and people want to have debates about things. I'll preach a message on grace, and someone will come up to me afterwards and want to talk tribulation and explain why they believe this way and why I should believe that way. Or maybe they want to come up to me afterwards and say, well, what do you believe on this theological question? What about once saved, always saved? They'll come up and they want to talk about it. They want to have a debate about it. Or maybe it's... Uh, I can get all these big words and all these different things. People, they want to debate, right? This is what this guy wanted to do with Jesus. He wanted to have a debate about some deep theological question within the Jewish religion. Now, most people come to me and they want to, it happens all the time, and they want to debate. I won't debate with them. If I'm in a church that is not my church, I tell them to go talk to their pastor about it. Because it's just, it's not my place anyways. But if not, I, I just, it's I'm not going to have a debate over someone and what they believe on these theological questions, because most of the time all it causes is device and problems. You know, I don't care if you're post-trib, mid-trib, do you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's what really matters. Um, you know, it's great. I mean, it's great to have opinions and be educated on these things, but really, I'm not going to debate someone, because they have their beliefs and I have my beliefs, and that's okay. We don't have to agree on some of these issues. It's not that important. But this case, this guy was really kind of trying to trap Jesus through this question. Um, so let's, let's continue Look at verses 24 To 25 Work hard to enter the narrow door To the God's kingdom For many will try to enter it But will fail When the master of the house has locked the door It will be too late You will stand outside knocking and pleading Lord open the door for us But he will reply I don't know you or where you came from How's that for preaching on a verse, huh? As I said, this wasn't what I would choose. Now, I think as we start this, we're going to look at this door. There's two qualities given for the door. You notice first quality is it's narrow. Another quality you see is that it will be closed at some point. So these are two things. Also, I think we're going to look at the question that's presented here is what does it mean to work hard to enter the narrow door? Some translations may say, say strive to enter the narrow door. What does that mean? I'm going to be very, very clear here what it does not mean. It does not mean your works will lead to salvation. Salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to, up front, when it says work hard to enter the door, that is, salvation is a free gift. But I do want to discuss what it does mean. So our works will not get you into heaven. Strictly by what Jesus Christ did on, that, on the cross is how we get to heaven in faith in him alone. So what does it mean? What is the correct interpretation of that verse? This work or this striving, I believe, is talking about faith or our relationship with Christ. It's through our faith and our relationship with Christ that we enter the door. We enter the door into the kingdom of heaven. So what does that look like? Do you know that relationships and faith do take work? Many of us are married or we have friends and family. You know, to have a relationship, especially with a spouse or your children or your friends, it's work. You have to work at it daily. Our faith, also, if you just leave it alone, it takes work. Faith is something that you do have to work on. And I believe that's what he's talking about here. Jesus has taken this question that this man has asked. He's asked basically trying to cause a debate. And he's now going kind to of turn it around and ask the man, basically, what is his faith? What is his relationship with God? So that now we're turning around and of asking us, our self examination, what is our faith, what is our relationship with Jesus look like? Are we working hard on it? Are we striving for it? What does that look like? What does your faith look like today? What is your relationship with Jesus? If you look there, it says if you, he continues, he says, For many will try to enter, but will fail. What is he talking about there? They fail because there's a cost to having faith in Jesus. Does that make sense at all? Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, 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 will into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will come to say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's rules. True faith in Jesus Requires surrender, requires sacrifice, requires repentance on a daily basis. I know that's a little tough to sometimes take, but if you truly have faith in Jesus, you, do, you will surrender to him. You will repent of your sins. The work that Jesus is talking about in these passages, sometimes it's hard to do. And you know what? Unfortunately, when it's talking about it, some people are just unwilling to turn from their old life. They're unwilling to turn from their sins and turn to faith in Jesus. And that's what this is talking about. Can you say today that you're completely surrendered to God? It's, it's difficult. Have you truly laid down your life as a sacrifice to God today, to Jesus? It's a daily thing that most of us have to face. I know every morning when I get up, it's one of my prayers. I pray, Lord, I just I give you my life today, Lord. Do with me as you will. If there's any sins in my life that I need to turn from, Lord, reveal them to me, please, Lord. Let me be repentant. Show me, Lord. It's not easy. This is something that we have to work for and work towards every single day. It, it's I don't think it's ever going to end until we enter that narrow gate. And that's what he's talking about. It's work. It's work to follow Christ. Now, it's not always—it's obviously not always bad or negative in sin, but it's definitely an ongoing thing that we have to do—is that living sacrifice. Our salvation is absolute free gift, one hundred percent. Jesus paid that price for us, but our faith can—and well, usually cost us. Sometimes it cost us old lifestyles, old friends. It cost us a lot of things, but if we're truly going to have faith in Jesus, there's many things that we will be asked to lay down and give up for that faith. This is our race. Our race in life. Just like we you talk about Jesus. Like I talk when I run races. There's a finish line here. What's that finish line for us? It's crossing the threshold of that narrow door that's talked about here. That's our finish line, isn't it, in life? Crossing that door, that, that narrow door, entering into God's presence. Why he's standing there open arms to embrace us. That's how our race will end. We will run across that narrow, that narrow doorway. That's, that's how it will end for us. That door is narrow. You can't bring the things of the world with you. You're gonna leave them things behind. That's part of having faith. And I wanna be clear, there's only one door. There's not other doors. There's no back door. There's only one door, and that's Jesus Christ. There's a lot of, A lot of different people preach a lot of different things. There's only one way, and that is Jesus. Now, unfortunately, it's tough to talk about, but there was that fact there that I said that door will shut one day. What does that mean? What it means is that it could happen any, any, at any time. People die. And when people do die, that door is shut. If you have not made that decision, it could be too late. And that's a tough reality to face. Again, too, in the future, there will be a time of Jesus' second coming, and there will be another. I'm um, not not to get into a lot of that. But the biggest one right now for us today is we never know when our last day will be. So we need to make that decision before that door is possibly shut, because there can and will be a time, as it talks about here, that people will be knocking. Could you imagine knocking on that door? As it talks about here, imagine that. I just the most horrific thing I could ever imagine. Knock, knock, knock. Lord, open the door for me. Lord, open the door. And he replies, "I don't know where. I don't know you or where you come from." Could you imagine hearing that from our Lord? Could you imagine your family or your friends hearing that? I plead you, if there's anyone here that has any doubt of their salvation, talk to us. Because you should have no doubts. It is so important. Today can be that day to commit your life to the Lord so you will never hear that, I do not know you. You never want to hear, I don't know you and where you are from. Continue, look at verses 26 through 27. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. And you will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. I just couldn't imagine facing an eternity in hell these people as they beg the Lord, trying to explain to Jesus, to justify to Jesus why they hadn't made that decision before. Trying to say to them, I've been to church. I went to church. It's even saying, I don't know you. Maybe they're saying, I came from a Christian family. My parents were Christian. Let me in. He didn't know them. None of these things. Maybe they say, I went to a Christian college. I even have a degree from a Christian college. Let me in. Says, I did not know you. Maybe they even say my dad was a pastor. He says, I did not know you. Begging them, then coming to a realization that they had never came to a true faith in their Lord and Savior. Do you imagine? There's a difference between going to church and being a born again Christian. It's a big difference. To be truly surrender, truly repentant, truly having faith in Jesus, and just going to church is a big difference. Think of the person you're closest to. Maybe it's your wife, or maybe it's a family member, whoever it is. Think of that relationship you have with that person. You talk to them all the time, you're in contact with them all the time, you're always communicating what's going on, what your thoughts are, your habits sharing your happiness, your joys with him, sharing your worries and your things. That's how our relationship with Jesus should be. It's the same way. He should be our best friend. If Jesus isn't your best friend, self-examination is the title message. I think you should really look at that and see, because Jesus should be your best friend, the person that you are closest to, that you have the closest relationship to. Are you excited to spend time with Jesus? Because I know the people I'm closest to in my relationship, like my wife, I'm excited to go spend time with her. Are you excited to spend time with Jesus? Are you, are you excited to get into God's Word? Are you excited to go to church? Are you excited to learn more about that person? One of the world that way you know what I'm <laughs> This is how we should be with Jesus, though. We should be excited. We should be pouring out to Him. He should be pouring out to us. How much work do you put into this relationship? As we all know, especially a lot of us that are married, relationships take work. If you don't work on them, it's going to go bad. It's not going to work out well. Relationships take work. Our relationship with Christ also requires us to take action and do something. You can't just say, I know Jesus and go about your entire life and never doing anything more. It doesn't work that way. That is not a relationship. Is church just something you do on Sunday? your Bible is something that you only pick up when you have problems? Or maybe you even know where your Bible is. I know I went for years. I didn't even know where it was. But I knew I had one. In fact, I had a bunch of them. But if you ask me like where it was, I, I don't know. It's on a shelf somewhere. What is your Bible to you? How is that relationship? That's one of the ways we maintain our relationship with Jesus is through His Word and through prayer. This is important, this is an important message because we should be able to know who Jesus is and he should know us. We never, ever want to be on the other side of this door knocking and him and turning back and say, I didn't know you. Tough message. 28 and 29. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. All the people will come from all over the world, from the east, the west, the north, and the south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. This is hard to talk about. Hell is a real place. Sin is a real thing, and sin, hell is a consequence for sin. It's hard to talk about. Jesus is so clear here. We don't always want to talk about it. Most pastors don't want to talk about hell. They don't want to talk about sin. It's difficult. It's difficult to accept the consequences of sin. And those around us, that don't know Christ. Sometimes that's such a, such a brutal reality that we do need to think about, though. The harshness, the gnashing of teeth. Hello? She's going to come and join me. If we don't realize the severity of sin, we don't understand what our purpose is here, and what we're doing here as we go share the gospel. Because we're not just sharing the gospel, we're saving them from facing this eternal punishment for their sins. So I think we really do have to have a clear understanding of hell, and what is to take place. It's not something I want to preach about, but we need to. We understand, We see, Jesus, he taught about this. Huh. He wants us all to be saved. He doesn't want to see anybody go there. And that's why he's teaching about it. So we can understand it and know about it. And remember that each one of us is an ambassador for Christ. So we also, just as Jesus is telling about this and telling about hell, we also have that same responsibility. Now I don't suggest you go out, I've I seen it done all the time, but you're going to go to hell. I, I don't think that's necessarily how you should go out and preach it, but I tell you what, we do need to preach that there is a hell and there is sin and the hell is the punishment for sin. Um, Jesus does have a the blessing in all of this, though, is that right with that, we get to share who Jesus is and Jesus has a different plan for everyone. He wants to see everyone saved and that's what he's doing here. That's what the message he's sharing and why he's sharing it. Look at verse 29. It's a little... Something there. You see, he's also explaining that we, because he's talking to the Jewish people, will also join in the kingdom of heaven. You see that there in verse 29? He's answering the man's question, right? Originally, the man's question was, "Who will be, only a few will be saved, and he's talking about the Jewish people. But really, what Jesus is saying is not just the Jewish people, but all can be saved through him. Let's continue to verse 30. And note this, some who have seen the least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be the least least important then. Jesus gives me a little reminder, a reality check, that, you know, those that I might think are going to heaven or not going to heaven, it might not be quite as I see things. When we get to heaven, we might be kind of surprised who's there. We might be really surprised who's not there. We don't know. But I tell you what, we really don't need to worry about that, do we? What do we need to be worried about? Our own. We need to be worried not so much about where everyone else is going, although we need to evangelize, but we need to work on our own faith and our own relationship. And do you know what? And then we can rejoice when we see ourselves there in heaven. Verse 31. At that time, Pharisees said to him, Get away from here if you want to live. Harold Antipas wants to kill you. Interesting. huh? We've been bashing on the Jewish leaders and religious leaders for months. Right? How they want to kill him. Now all of a sudden a group of them are saying, Jesus, you better get out of here because he wants to kill you. Not all the Pharisees, not all the religious leaders were against Jesus. And I think that there's just a little tiny kind of lesson there that we have to take. Because sometimes we see some of these organizations and or these different uh, religions, um, I won't give any names, and we say, oh, they're all bad. That's just not true. That's absolutely not true. There might be true God-fearing Christians within inside of there, and who better to change a religion or an organization than someone from within? So we gotta remember, we can't just group all these people together and say they're all bad. You know what? There's people in there that love Jesus. We, never quite, we may not know who they are, but we shouldn't be the ones to judge here. We need to be careful, because God has workers in the most unlikely places, we never know where they're going to be. And so we just got to watch that. Let's look at uh, verse 33, 32 to 33. Jesus replied, "'Go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will accomplish my purpose.' Yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day I must proceed on my way. For it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. What example Jesus gives us? As he's running that race, he just keeps continuing. Continuing to be a witness. Continues to preach the good news. He continues to perform miracles. Knowing what he's facing. No matter the cost, Jesus is going to finish this race. He's going to finish strong. He's going to finish well. He's going to keep heading towards that place of his crucifixion. But on the way there, steadfast is what he was. Steadfast. I think about that, you know, for us. What is our heart in that? Do we remain steadfast like that? Let's finish up here. 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often... I have wanted to gather your children together as a hymn protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. You really see Jesus' compassion here, don't we? He just shared about hell and the penalty of sin, the gnashing of teeth, the severity of this. Then he turns to this and he cries out, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is a cry out of passion, of mourning, He might as well be calling each of our names, crying out to them. He wants all to be saved. That is his heart. He wants to see no one lost. And he gives this beautiful picture here of the the hen and its chicks. And I think most of you are familiar with this. You can see the mother hen as she spreads her wings and all the little chicks run underneath. She takes her wings and she covers them and she protects them. She tries to keep them little chicks safe. She tries to keep them warm and nurtured and make sure they have food and make sure and lets them know that you know she is their protector, they're part of that family. That's what Jesus wants for us. He wants to see none perish. But he also wants us to know. Jesus, he wants to gather us, he wants to protect us. And I think and I was thinking of that chick, the only thing holding the little chicks from getting them to their mothers is sometimes they run away. They run, we run away from Jesus instead of running to Him. If Jesus is crying out for us there, will we run to Him or we will run to the things of this world? Last verse, 35. And now look at your house is abandoned. You will never see me again until you say, Blessings on the one who comes in, in the name of the Lord. The hard truth. Many will not enter the gate. It is narrow. A lot of the reasons is is to enter that gate to come to that faith they have to leave a lot of things behind and a lot of people just are not willing to do that. I don't know. I mean I I struggled with it for many many years myself. I can't give a hard explanation of why but at some point it, it truly requires a surrender a repentance to accomplish that to come to that faith. Now you see at the end here it's kind of an interesting little prophecy before his second coming. Do you see that at the very end of that verse? He's really talking to the Jewish people and he's saying that the Jewish people before his second coming will call out to him. So there's a little bit of prophecy in there and we can watch for that today. We can see that at some point the Jewish people are going to come together and they're going to call out to Jesus as the Messiah. And that's part of the prophecy to be fulfilled. So it's interesting we got that. there. And to watch out for that. So I just want to close with a question. This question comes from my heart. Have you ever said, I wonder if that person's even saved? Or maybe you've said, that person is just a nominal Christian. I know we've all said that. I'm so guilty. I am so guilty. And I think this message is so clear that what about myself? This is the person I need to be looking at. I need to be looking at my own faith and my own walk and my own relationship. What am I doing to strive in faith? To work in faith? It takes work to have a relationship. What am I doing to improve that relationship with God? When was the last time I read my Bible? When was the last time I went to church? When was the last time I earnestly just sat down and had a conversation with God? You can call it prayer, you can call it a conversation. When was the last time you just truly sat there and said, Lord, here I am. I think to truly come to this faith that it's talking about here, as I spoke before, it truly requires your surrender, repentance, and then faith and trust in Jesus. This is what it's talking about working to enter that narrow gate. Salvation is a free gift. Jesus already paid that price for us. But our faith does require work on our part. Each day, we need to come before Him as a day is new and say, Lord, here I am. How can He serve you today? So, my prayer is for everyone that we wake up each day and work towards this, strive towards this, to work on our faith, to work on our relationship with Christ. And maybe as this person here, or maybe some of us I said, to, start to stop to looking towards other people. It's true, we're supposed to preach the gospel. We're not talking about preaching the gospel fairness, and sharing this. I'm not talking about judging someone else's walk. Saying, well, I, that's not how a Christian should be. Why don't we just start looking at our own selves and seeing what we need to do. And I think that's what Jesus' message was to this man. Was, what about your walk? What about your faith? Worry about that. God will take care of the rest with these other people. It's not really our place to sit there and say, is that person really saved? I see what they're doing. That's not what a Christian should do. I'm not saying there's a time you shouldn't speak into other people's lives. There are times, but usually we need to Look at ourselves. And look at our own walk. So I ask, as a self-examination, is there anyone here today? Please ask yourself. You should be able to say with one hundred percent certainty, I am saved and I'm going to heaven. There should be no doubt whatsoever in your mind. If you have any doubt at all, come talk to someone. Because the gospel is clear. It is through faith alone. Although that faith requires work at times, it is strictly through that faith. So if you have ever any doubts, come to talk to someone. Because you don't have to live that way. You can live with the assurance of spending eternity in heaven.